Hello, everybody. This is Noah, and welcome to Change Talk, a podcast where I have conversations with people who are thinking about change and are open to talking about it. In this week's episode, I speak with Victoria Maxwell. Victoria is an award winning keynote speaker and performing artist. Combining comedy and laughter with her personal story of recovery from mental illness, she ignites powerful conversations about mental health wherever she speaks. One of her keynotes, entitled That's Just Crazy, was named by the Mental Health Commission of Canada as one of the top anti-stigma interventions in the country. She lives with bipolar disorder, anxiety, and psychosis. Victoria came on to Change Talk to discuss her desire to learn how to trust her decision-making abilities. Laughter abounds as Victoria breaks out her training as an actor to walk us through some of these decision-making scenarios. Thanks for listening, enjoy, and may Victoria's change talk, in some small way, inspire your own. Please note that this podcast is not therapy. Seek professional help if needed. Okay, so we are going to start. So I'm just going to get right into it and we'll see where it goes. Good luck. Great. Okay. <laughs> I am with my friend, Victoria Maxwell. You are, have a very interesting work that you're up to. And I just want to, I'll let you, I'll let you take it from here. All right. Uh, well, um, I'll do a Cole's note version. Sure. I... I have bipolar disorder and anxiety and also experience psychosis and bipolar one, if people are familiar with that. Um, Do you want to spell that out a a little bit for people? For sure. So bipolar one is sort of, (laughs) if you think it in terms of like pop, like Coke classic and then Coke, you know, whatever the, so, or, you know, Pepsi light or whatever. So bipolar one is sort of like the coke classic it's like the like just the red can yeah the red can it's so it's the the highly sugared version (laughs) yes exactly so i it means that i go into uh deep depressions and i also go into very euphoric states uh and in between of course normal regular mood and because i've been and i was diagnosed many many years ago and i've been on a wellness journey since you know probably for 25 years now so my uh illness is managed really well and so the symptoms are not as severe as they were first obviously before i was treated and um even while in the first few years um so the symptoms of uh bipolar disorder like the really dark depressions um the euphoric sort of states um, and I also have anxiety and the psychosis that I experienced. So psychosis is when I would be hearing things or believing things or seeing things that other people didn't hear or see, but they felt really real to me. Mm. Um, and so the sort of management tools that I use have uh, helped me do that. And those management tools are both include medication and therapy, but 
those are sort of, those are maybe some core ones, but equally important are ones like uh, exercise, sleep is really important, social supports, um, meditation, my spirituality, all those things. So all of them sort of work as a wraparound kind of uh, wellness tool. More or less. Right. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you about how you, because apparently you're called the bipolar princess. So right. I'm going to ask you about that because that's, I want to understand that. But before we get into sort of how you spend your time now, do you want to just talk a little bit about the inner life of what it was like or what it is like to experience bipolar, both from the low states of the depression and the high states? What's it like in your head, in your mind, body, heart, soul? That's a really good way of asking the question. Thank you. Um, so, uh, and, and when I, I recently, I did go through quite a bout of uh, depression and anxiety. So in terms of depression, it's really a whole body experience. So it's physical as well. So I have incredible lethargy. Mm. Uh, so my whole physical system is slowed down. So uh, it doesn't matter how much sleep I get. Um, I'm still fatigued. Some people have it the opposite where they can't sleep at all. I oversleep. I want to eat more. I, and the feeling inside is just really wanting to escape life. So it can vary from feeling numb to feeling really sad to feeling really apathetic. It's all on those really low, low moods, um, but it's persistent and one of the other things is that anything that I previously found sort of interest in or some joy or happiness is completely gone. And it's, it's not real. It's not, I mean, and in my head, cognitively, my thinking, my thoughts become progressively more and more negative. And so a lot of, um, it's sort of feeling of self-loathing and shame and it's, it's a real soup of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say the other word, but, yeah. um, and, and the hard thing is, is that there are certain things I can do um, in terms of correcting my thoughts or perceiving things differently, not, not sort of positive affirmations or, you know, pulling myself up from the bootstraps, but right. there's certain things that I can, I can do that helps. But if it gets to a certain point, which actually happened, um, a while ago, uh, my psychiatrist had a really good name for it. He said I had reached a biological barrier. So it it was at a certain point where my, didn't matter how much of my wellness tools that I did, it was really, um, it was, there was so much chemical imbalance, neurotransmitter imbalance that it was uh, difficult for me to pull myself out of. And I'm on medication. I've been on medication for, uh, for a long time. Um, but at that point, that's when we needed to shift and tweak my medication. And that that started. And then also I started dealing with some of the stressors that had sort of, it had all come at a, at a time where it became a perfect storm. And so I think for me, the, the onset is often where um, I have this vulnerability to 
depression as part of the bipolar disorder. And then it's not just one stressor, but it might be a number. So there were a number, there was I mean, COVID, there was uncertainty around my work, there was um, financial uns- uh, insecurity. And so all these things sort of coalesced and it was difficult to keep on top of things. Yeah. Um, so, and then with anxiety, I think everybody has sort of the experience of depression and anxiety to a certain degree, but not necessarily to the clinical level. So if you can think of it as what maybe you might experience on a low day or where you're feeling nervous about a meeting, but you amp it up like 10 to a hundred times and it's yeah. sort of relentless. Right. Um, so f- for me, anxiety, racing heart, shallow breathing, um, and mine is generalized anxiety disorder. So everything just feels unsafe. Like the entire world feels right. unsafe. It's, it's like chicken little and f- afraid that the sky is falling. Right, right. Um, so you can't, yeah. the sky is everywhere. So you can't, uh, yeah, this, yeah, can't exactly. run away from the and, sky really. No, exactly. And, and it's hard to recognize that I am safe because I feel so unsafe. So my feelings are often guiding it. Um, and that's when I'm in my worst of it. Um, but typically that, that's not happening quite as, it doesn't happen as frequently. And I have a lot of tools that I've got now that can really um, help pull me out. And then the, the highs, um, I wish there was sort of another way of describing it, but it's um, where it's really highly energized and very, uh, can be. Do you very, like very being fort- there? Well, there's, there's two states and you're probably yeah. familiar, but there's like yeah. the, the mania, which is the extreme uh, sort of euphoric, um, grandiose kind of thing and that's where i can get in trouble where i'm starting to do reckless things like i'm driving fast or and i haven't been in that place for years and years and years but there's the hypomania which is just under that which actually can be quite a a productive creative place yeah um but it's such a slippery slope so it does it does feel pretty amazing it's yeah. pretty good um you like know it's to... happening and you sort of tap in get everything you can get 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 out of it and then but but, <laughs> but be very cautious and be like i gotta get yeah. out of here quick yeah yeah it's uh there's it's sometimes it's in hindsight or it where it'll be happening for a day and then the next day that i'm still in it i go oh this is what's happening i i don't uh actively seek it out which yeah. I know it's very tempting to, and I don't, if I uh, move into it, I don't uh, exacerbate it. So it's easy to go without sleep and just there's in quotes, there's sort of these things that can make it uh, sustained more. And so I just uh, recognize when I'm in it and let it run its course. Um, and because I'm also very aware that if I do let myself, um, have less sleep and I continue to get uh, stay in hypomania for too long, it either means that I'm going to go for a crash afterwards really deeply, or I'll go into even higher mania, which can produce even worse results. And there's usually right. more damage that I, I can do like burn bridges. Yeah. And my husband and I sort of have a, a, a code name for it. So we both know to be on, on watch and we call Spazzy McGinty. <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> we sort of say, "Ah, oh, Stassi McGinty's visiting," and, oh my uh, gosh. and I know, I know. But that—that's the kind of so—that's the kind of support, right? So that yeah. you have 
ways of of um, noting it without being judgmental or me feeling you know under the microscope all the time. Do Do you feel because you know especially for example with depression and there's behavioral activation the idea that you need to do things or activities not so much to feel better but to do things as if or in dbt language the opposite action do things that you don't feel like doing because the alternative is just worse than anything which is doing nothing and staying there and staying in that place do you feel you have that agency to do that or is it like in other words like i always with clients and just in general i always try to get to the point of choice like where is the choice the choice is not necessarily how we're feeling and how we're thinking all the time but then there's like the, right. the realm of action, which is like more in our control. But I'm wondering for you, if you mentioned that biological barrier of some kind, like, do yeah. you really feel like almost like you're physically tied behind your yeah. back? I, I would say yes. It's where now, if I ever start to feel like that, or I feel like that, and I'm thinking back a few months where I needed a lot of support to help me do one thing a day, yeah. right? Do one thing do one thing uh, that I could feel somewhat masterful at. And that might be a walk down the trail or a walk out of the door to the trail and back. Um, And then something that I in the past had found pleasurable, right? Because I wasn't feeling any of it. For me, it's using um, acceptance commitment therapy where it's like, um, I accept how I'm feeling and I'm driven by my values. And that right. has really, really helped. So being able to say I um, self-care is an important value to me. Um, beauty is an important value to me. So what can I do despite how I'm feeling? Do that. And, and, the, and the hard thing is, I think, is the nature of depression is this kind of lack of vitality and inertia, right? Yes. Yeah almost paralysis. So I, it takes an incredible amount of, of will. Uh, it it it's really like does. When you're tired, will. trying to stay awake in a way, or yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, we, and again, we could pour water over. I mean, we could do it. We know yeah. we don't want to take away all of our agency. Yeah. It's, it's a fine balance between sort of not blaming myself yes. for not doing something, but mm-hmm. also recognizing that I have to push myself, even if it's a small, a tiny, tiny bit, because no one else, I mean, I can get all the support around me to help me do that. And that's, that is being essential. Um, But I know, and I, and I, from what other people have told me and from my own experience is that one of the reasons why we might choose to get into action is because we know the abyss that we will continue to be in and continue to go down to. Um, And it's frightening. Both is frightening. Um, And um, I, this last um, bout that I had, I was in it for at least probably six to eight weeks, which is much longer than I've ever been. And it's been, it was, it was where I got to that place where I go, I don't remember how I felt before and I don't know if I'm going to get out of it. And I'm, and I won't say I'm glad that I was in it, but I'm, I'm glad that I was in it and I got out of it because I just cannot take it for granted. Right. I can't take um, my mental health for granted. And I didn't think I was, but um, I just 
and, and I was so thankful for everybody around me, like my psychiatrist, therapist, family, friends. Um, and, and it took a toll. It took a toll on my marriage. It was really hard um, for my husband. And I, and I completely understood. So, you know, we were able to grow from it. Uh, yeah. But it was difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you, and you, you, with so much support and through your own commitment, you got, yeah. you got through it. And, and now you are doing what you're doing, but you've always been doing what you've been doing. And, yeah. Yeah. and the last thing before, I, I, we haven't even gone into, by the way, like, I didn't know if it was going to be a very serious conversation because yeah. you're a performing artist. You are a playwright. You, you've been in, you're an actor. You, you channel, you have a deep, wellspring of joy that you channel in the world and and so before we even get to how you do that how do you sort of differentiate you know just having positive energy wanting to just accomplish achieve do good things having feeling good as opposed to feeling awful how does that differ for you than just being in a hypomania kind of experience i'm not afraid of my oh like there's this a definite different feel to the positivity uh, it's it, that I have on a general basis. It's more of a contentment as opposed to sort of these fleeting things that mm. can be euphoria and hypomania and all that yeah. stuff. So like chasing me, an ecstatic experience yeah. versus yeah. having a sense of contentment for how you're living, living meaningfully. Um, yes. Yeah. All that stuff. Right. And, and so uh, we've gotten a, a sense of, of what the bipolar is like for you. Um, and how, how you get through it, how you, you push through sort of the inner world. And how do you live in the world as like, outside, I mean, part of your identity in the work that you do is related to this as well. But talk to us about the performing arts that you're up to, the playwright, the, the uh, bipolar princess and all of that. Right, right. I always think I should be like changing it because I don't, I don't feel young enough anymore to be a princess. But I realize, <laughs> the bipolar oh, queen. I know bipolar queen, but then it just, I don't, I was like, oh, it doesn't sound bipolar. as good. No, it doesn't. Bipo- bipolar dowager doesn't sound good at all. <laughs> you know, stuff. Anyway, um, yeah. So I was trained in acting before I was diagnosed and where before bipolar. Uh, sort of hit me or whatever. And so I've always had a love of it and wanted, and was doing it when I graduated from university. Um, and then when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and after about five years of sort of refusing to accept that I had it and then going through the acceptance stage and the recovery process, um, I was working at a sort of a regular um, nine to five job and really recognized I needed to be creative for my own well-being. So I started using what I knew best, which was my acting skills and my writing skills. And so now I perform uh, one-person shows about my experience to help people gain understanding, um, gain hope, gain uh, insight, compassion, empathy, skills about uh, management and things like this. And so education through entertainment. It's liberating for me. It's telling a story that I used to be very ashamed of and what other people often are very, very ashamed of and still don't want to talk about it and putting it out in the open and have people laughing with me, crying with me, listening, you know, all those wonderful things. And um, I think there's a magic to storytelling that happens and the the most uh, resistant person 
sometimes will get carried away by a story despite their own resistance. And I think that's, um, that's something that I, I love to be a part of. And uh, it's very nourishing for me too. Yeah. So acting and being funny, the two together. So I just, how do you use humor? What does it mean to you in your own life to bring humor into the room? You ask such great questions. Um, it's uh, it's been a real coping tool. It's always been a coping tool for my family. I think uh, I think almost everybody who goes through adversity uses humor in some way. Otherwise, it people don't get as resilient as they are. Um, and I use a lot of gallows humor, so really sort of you know <laughs> black humor. Um, and uh, so. Uh, you know, just joking about things that maybe if you wouldn't normally joke about, but but what does it do? It helps you sort of get it out, like it. Yeah, it helps me process it. It helps me uh, change my perspective. It helps me. Uh, it get it gives me a sense of empowerment because uh, it's not defining me anymore. I'm being able to use it in a way. How about how about I do a little reading? Um, sure, can- please. Okay, so this is just when I am about to go into what they call a work placement when I'm, uh, I'm doing vocational training. Yeah, yeah. So this is sort of the first time I've been back to work for a while. And uh, I'm a, sort of going to meet my new employers. Um, all my new employers know is I'm doing vocational rehabilitation. We don't say rehab to Betty Ford or Dr. Drew's Celebrity Addictions Reality Show. It's not that there's anything wrong with taking charge of your addictions. It's just that all of us are aware that, you know, inklings of rehab, drugs, alcohol, mental illness might put potential employers off. And I wish I could say we're further ahead than we are, but but we're not. Well, we sort of are. I mean, some companies really walk the talk, um, but you still have to do this whole disclosure thing by a company by company basis. But the media now, that they don't help very much. You know, I still see headlines like schizophrenic man attacks police. They never splash the headline, diabetic man attacks police. Lactose intolerant teen kills family. I know. I know there are holes in my argument, but the fact still remains. If it bleeds, it leads. And if it bleeds with a mental illness, so much the better. Oi. Yay. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So there's different experiences, yeah, that uh, people have with it. But so that's the kind of humor that I use. And I think it also helps. And I think also when people can laugh, um, they feel more comfortable and and also, um, I feel like the medium medium really becomes the message. I have a friend who does uh, something called Stand Up for Mental Health, uh, David Grenier, and he talks about that. You know, when he teaches people with mental illness to do stand up comedy, and so people that have never been on a stage before, and he talks about how when a person can make someone laugh it changes our perception of them. So if people think that someone with a mental illness is someone that they would never want to be friends with, um, never think that they're capable of much, all that kind of stuff. And here is someone on stage making them laugh, telling a story, and they're engaged and they're funny and all that stuff. It, it just sort of um, uh, 
goes against what people typically um, have, hold as stereotypes. It gives you a, a positive experience of the person. Yeah. Yeah. And you and share a and laugh a with them. Yeah. And, and research wise, what they call is um, contact um, uh, where um, person, person to person contact around, not the COVID kind of contact yeah. we're talking about, <laughs> um, but this uh, social contact with individuals that have mental illness um, is the best kind of the best way of reducing stigma and and changing people's um, attitudes. So through people meeting you and you sharing your struggles with mental health, in particular, you know, everyone is sort of becoming more understanding about anxiety and depression, um, but, but bipolar and schizophrenia is just an example. I interviewed someone yesterday yeah. with schizo about schizophrenia. These are still very much on the edge of people's comfort yeah. zones. Um, yeah. so especially that, psychosis. Yeah. Psychosis. Yeah, no, for sure. and, and to see someone who, and I think the whole idea is that if you've had severe mental illness, well, you won't be able to recover ever. Um, so people might recover or might be able to live with anxiety okay or depression okay. But the idea of, you know, if you've been hospitalized, you know, I was hospitalized four or five times, um, psychotic uh, many times. And so to see someone that's like, Oh, they seem pretty, and like that's one. That's why one of my plays is called "Funny You Don't Look Crazy" because, you know, that's I've had people say that, saying, "Well, wow, you don't look like you've gone nuts," and it's like, "Oh, thank you." Oh my <laughs> gosh, know? how do you I take know, that? Do you receive it graciously, like at this oh, point? Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. I did, it's more. I, I it's more. Know. You look at it as material than to to then bring to yes. the to the next yeah, uh, exactly. the next play, the next show. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. So you make, you make the best of it. Obviously you have, th this is the kind of work that you do. You're involved in advocacy and yep. part of the way you do that is not just by talking about it, like you've sort of talked about it now, but by engaging in storytelling and the use of humor. And I think that what is so important about that is that a lot of times people are in their own heads and mm. the more that anything takes them out of their head and they can look at themselves with a little bit more lightness by you sharing what, what's going on. It's like uh, there's somebody else yeah. connected to them. That's why just yeah. for people having a therapist or having a, 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 a body or a mental health part, like somebody that they can connect to is sort of like this sort of check, this balance, yeah. this support. And you are, you represent that for in the way you do your presentations, who knows if people are looking at you in that way. A lot of times people, after I've performed, they sort of, they often come up to me and saying, you've t just told my story. Mm. And so, or someone says, I finally understand what my you know son's going through or something. And so I think it brings connection, which I think is, is often lost um, when we're dealing with really stigmatized conditions. So that can be addiction. It can be, uh, it can be mental illness. It can be anything. It could be, it can be just who you are, like a different, you know, being transgendered if you're feeling isolated and um, uh, sort of marginalized. And so anything that can bring connection, I think brings healing and, and health. So, so what's the most meaningful part of the job for you? I did a high school performance uh, a number of years ago and a young man, probably, I don't know if he was maybe 14 or 15 and he came up and he was, you know, that kind of thing where 
they're at that awkward stage and yeah. sort of a bit shy, but they sort of want to say something. And so <laughs> I think he was with his teacher and, and uh, she introduced him and said, he'd just like to share something. And he said, I just want you to know that, you know, I'm going through that. And it just made a, a really big difference for me to hear your story. And, um, and so knowing that someone at a young age, when the onset is happening, uh, that they got something reflected back to them in a positive way um, meant a lot to me because I felt like I, I, I don't know if I was dealing with the condition uh, in my teens, but I was definitely dealing with the beginning stuff of it. And if I had seen that kind of presentation, I think it definitely would have made some kind of impact. And, uh, and so I'm really happy that uh, it just meant a lot to, to, you know, see someone who, who maybe um, was feeling really alone because of his experience. So, and, and just, yeah. and then going back to that age and being like, oh, wow. So yeah, because that, because that, for me, that age was a very lonely time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, so just knowing that that might have eased something for him, just mental of a lot. And the fact that he had the courage to come up and say something to me was a lot and with the support of his teacher that's pretty yeah yeah it's pretty cool so yeah yeah thank you for sharing that and i'm looking forward to any e-webinar type stuff that is coming up for you so let's let's move into the change talk here (laughs) right acting is a lot about vulnerability and it's about revealing vulnerability Um, because although you i play a part you are still using my own authentic experience uh, under the cover of a different script, a different story, even though my particular play is about my, my life. Um, and I feel like talking about change uh, and what I want to change is a very vulnerable thing. You know, it's the opposite of hiding under a script. It's like saying, okay, so this is something that I... Uh, don't feel good about, or I see as something that needs support. Um, And I would like to talk about it with people that I don't know who might be hearing about it. Sure. Um, And it's been very interesting since I knew that I was going to have this interview with you. I was going through a couple of ideas and then there was one that I had settled on. And as soon as I did, I started paying more attention to it. And I started to do it more, like what I wanted uh, to change. And I went, well, how can I, how can I talk about this now? Because it seems like it's changed. <laughs> so even, so I would recommend everybody who wants to make a change, just get an interview scheduled and something yeah. will start And then shift. cancel it. And that's, yeah. and then just, what is the change that you are starting to think about? Um, uh, it's, I, it's a little uh, nebulous, but it's really about, I guess it could be about trusting myself, but trusting my decisions. So I wanted to move from how indecisive I can be to being more decisive, trusting that the decision I make will not collapse my world, um, seeing it more perspective. So somehow it has to do with trust and decision-making and mm-hmm. my own, my, my, my trust in myself around that. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with my relationship with the world that my thought is that due to trauma and stuff that it's felt like the world is unsafe. Mm-hmm. So 
even minor decisions can feel uh, like they hold a lot of weight, yeah. even if they really don't. So what does that look experiment? like? Yeah. So what does what that look it? like? Like take, oh. take me through uh, <laughs> a day in the life of deciding for Victoria. Oh my God. <laughs> this is what I mean, right? <laughs> so I'm thinking this is, this is, and this is all part and parcel to anxiety and perfectionism and all this stuff. So it can be as simple as going grocery shopping online or in the store <laughs> and seeing two brands of what I want to buy and not sure uh and the cost may be slightly different but the quality of one is better and it may be 30 cents different but there's a it'll trigger a fear of my of money insecurity mm-hmm. so i'm thinking that um so what is like the food let's position. let's take you back to the grocery like, store can can of freaking pineapples okay, okay a can of pineapples <laughs> so you're in the grocery store and you're yeah. deciding which can of pineapples to get yeah. So it's like, okay, the no name brand is really crappy quality, but it, you know, it's, it, I'd save, you know, 40 cents. And if I buy two, I, and this is the other thing. You get optimum points two, for them too? You, you get all, you get points, but you also get bulk. So you, if you okay. buy four, yeah. you can get, you know, you can save 50 cents plus the 30 cents, right? Wow. So that's 80 cents. That's almost a dollar. Right. And then, and, but then I'm going, but then do I need four? Like, do I have a place to have it? And I'm going, and I know my husband really doesn't like the clutter in the kitchen. So, and this is where it gets all the weird. So my brain is just going off where I'm going. So the Dole pineapple is 50 cents more. There's no deal. There's no points, uh, but it tastes better. My wife and- would never buy, she's going for the, no name because she loves the I points. I know, I know. Well, and then also the other problem is, is that, you know, my husband likes good quality. I'm okay with sort of like <laughs> crappy shit. Pardon me, um, crappy crap. And, and so, so it's this, there's like all these factors. And I feel like it's because I've got a Libra rising or is it a Libra, moon and Libra that I can see all different perspectives. And I mean, it's probably not just Libra. There's a lot of reasons, but... <laughs> I love when people do that. It's like people are like that. And if you, if you're an astrology person, you'll just say, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I do. Yeah. So there's, there's all these things. So I feel like, and this is the thing where in, in any discussion or argument, I can see both sides, but I sort of almost forget about my own. And I Mm -hmm. think that has to do with my own decision. And so or trusting your own voice there. Kind yeah. Of like. And trust and, tr- and trusting that saying, well, what if I go, you know, and how much weight do I put on it? Because I want to be considerate of my husband, but I don't yeah. want to be unfair to myself. Right. Um, you know, is that 30 cents? Cause this is the other thing is that I go that 30 cents over time with interest. Do you know how much that could be? <laughs> It's true. You know, it, it is true. I know. And so, but is it going to make, but you know, then the other thing is, is that who knows if I'll be around next week right, or tomorrow. <laughs> I hope so. Thing, right? I know. So do I. But so this is, you know, on a very bad, decisive, indecisive no, but, day. But the thing is, that, is that these decisions are small, but you're considering there's a lot of weight that you're placing on the decision. So yeah. the decision involves, am I a caring person? It's not just like the average yeah. person will just say, okay, I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to do that. But you're very thoughtful yeah. and you're thinking deeply. And <laughs> right. so you're realizing that every little decision, which cannot is obviously taken to an extreme yeah. is not healthy for people, but every decision it's like, 
this decision des- defines my attitude towards my husband. It defines how I am as a, as a financial, financially yes. responsible person. Um, what about, you know, quality of food? It gets into my values of how I want to embody healthy and, living. And, oh yeah. And, and all this is just one, one little that- decision. I know, and then if they're sourced like ethically or not ethically, not add it to the box, right? I know it's like whatever. How do you make any decisions? (laughs) I do the same thing too. It's like I can't make decisions like that. Like that's a, but that's a big decision. Which pineapple you're gonna? I know. So this is I love that because to me, then all of a sudden I I'm because I see it as the problems as opposed to oh I'm it's it represents a lot of it's representing my values and all this kind of stuff. So how do I make a decision is I uh, have read uh, this one and see if I can remember her name, but it was a great blog. And she talked about saying, take a risk, like experiment. This is an experiment. So I am experimenting with taking a risk. So this is what I started doing as soon as I knew that I was being interviewed by you is that these things that normally I would weigh or take very seriously, I would just go, I'm just going to do this and see what happens. Like not on, not like buying a car kind of decision, yes, not- but like smaller. Right. Right. And see if anything bad happens um, and have more fun with it. And so I, <laughs> this is the other, there was like different kinds of uh, jam that I loved, right. It's unsweetened. It's it, the drawback. It's from France. It's not local, all that kind of stuff, but it was on sale. <laughs> <laughs> and there are so many flavors and I only wanted to buy one. And so I decided I'm going to buy the apricot one. And I thought, because it reminds me of my childhood, because I remember having apricot jam and it, it was a risk. Well, it sucks. <laughs> it's it sucks. Horrible. It's really bad. It's not what I remember. Oh my gosh. My kid. And so every time I open the fridge, I, <laughs> I go, should I eat this i don't like the taste of it so it's it's a very interesting experiment because i didn't lose like you know a hundred dollars i learned that i don't like this brand of apricot jam i don't know if i like apricot jam at all but do i throw it out do i give it away oh do my I, gosh you know, and all these things like how responsible so it, so it goes to being it goes know, on and on and on it does it can and so this is yeah. what happens in my head so self-compassion has been a skill, it has been pivotal for me. <laughs> this indecisiveness of yours, but, and I would call it thoughtfulness as well. I would call it a lot of things. I like that. I like that a lot better. But, but tell me yes. what it does for you, how it makes life better for you to be indecisive, to be so considerate. Oh, I've only been focusing on how much time it wastes. Okay, um, so we'll get yeah. into that. Okay. I so always like to acknowledge why it works for you. Yeah. Well, I think it works for me because if I've been so thoughtful and I choose something and the decision isn't good, I can say that I went through as many options as I thought. So I can't really blame myself. It, it yeah. abdic- I can abdicate responsibility. Right. Because you were is- so cautious. I was so cautious. And if, if someone is so cautious, I, you know, how can you not make an informed decision and make not the right, the right one? So it takes away your negligence, your carelessness that right. So I can't be accused of, of any of that. And yeah. And who would Uh, accuse you just, um, (laughs) just by yourself, myself, um, maybe 
my husband, but it would be very fleeting and it wouldn't yeah. be a particular accusation. We joke, actually, we have a thing where we go, jacuzzi, jacuzzi, <laughs> you know, when we're trying to make light of something. Um, yeah, so it would be, I would be uh, regretful and stuff like that. Um, so it protects you against, like, it makes you feel like you are a responsible decision maker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think also, uh, what I see is it protects me um, from potential uh, re-traumatizing experiences, actually. So if I'm very careful and I pick the right one, no one's going to get mad at me. Mm. So my husband won't get mad at me. And so it's a way of creating safety for myself. Right. Um, so it helps, it helps me feel safe. Uh, not so much the indecisive part but the thoughtful making sure that i um make the right decisions so i i won't overspend money i will get the one that pleases the brand that pleases everybody pleases myself as well as everybody else that's involved um so it's a way of taking care of people it's a way of taking care of myself it's a way of not feeling like the sky is falling exactly right because because the, the chicken little thing that you were talking about before this is a way to feel like the sky is stable, that the earth, that everything is safe. People are going to, rel- I can trust that I'd made the, a good decision. So it's yeah. good decision-making, but it's also connection and with others and safety with others. That is sort yeah. of a protective factor that keeps it sort of going. Cause the more considerate you are, the more thoughtful you are, the more you're not going to get blamed. You're not, no one's going to get yeah. mad at you. It's abdicating responsibility for self, but also for the reaction of other people that you care about. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. And it's also um, a false sense of control, but it gives me a sort of a sense of control. Um, But what I miss is it doesn't allow for life to happen in between. And for me to recognize that life is actually safer than I probably. um, uh, You give it a lot of weight. I do. Just to sort of highlight that, and you've already seems like you're moving to, to, to the change talk part, but in terms of the sustained mm-hmm. talk, what this part is called is a sense of control, safety, connection, um, good decision, being, being, having integrity. All of these things are deep values that you care about. So it's not um, out of nowhere that, that these are the, this is the kind of way that you're used to interacting because it's clear that right. it's kind of person, regardless of if it's the best way for you to, embody that in the world it seems like these are really important parts of how you want to interact with the the world around you yeah 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 it's uh and i think it's been uh it's worked in the past but it's not working as effectively now Uh, there's other things i want to do with my time than then then make these decisions yeah then be in 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 a thought process that takes you know, five minutes for each grocery shopping item because right. then it takes forever. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and we'll see how getting into the change talk that there's other values that you miss out on living with yeah. Um, yes. that we'll get into. So why do you want to make this part of your life? Why have you started to do the research, started to think about some strategies? Like, why do you want to make, why do you want to be more decisive? Why do you want to not harp on decisions so much? How would your life be better? Oh, I just got defensive when you said that. Yeah? It's like, yeah, it's like, 
change. I don't know if I did. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. It's like, shut up. I want to just tell you to screw off. <laughs> you can, by the way. I know. I know, but it's just interesting. I just noticed that it's like all of a sudden my hackles got up. So right. what was the question again? That's so interesting because that's exactly, you know, I don't, it, this is based on motivational interviewing, some of the stuff yeah. I do. And they yeah. talk about how when people want to talk about change, they can get like defensive yeah. about it. Cause then it's like yeah. saying what, what you think I should change, you know, like, yes, yeah. who are you telling it's, me? Well, who, who are you Noah to tell me why? <laughs> I mean, it was a simple question. I just asked. Oh, I know. And, and you were reflecting back to me what I had already told you. Yeah. Well. Right. But it's uh, yeah. So what was it, what was it that you actually were asking? The question was sort of the inverse of the first question, which was, why would your life or or why would your life be better if you were able to make this change? Right. I feel like I'd free up a lot of energy, both creatively. And I also have seen when I've let go of that control, incredible synchronicity happens. And so these things that I would never be able to plan for or control to make happen, um, all of a sudden pop in and it's a playfulness, right? It's a, it's a, a it's a, a positive energy. And I feel like I, I want to have a embodied experience of safety because I feel like I'm perpetuating this, this experience of the world's not safe, uh, fearful. It just reinforces everything that I'm wanting to move away from, which uh, has been about letting go of control, um, I, and it started about six, probably nine years ago where um, I, somebody said, trust something. And I said, trust what? And I, at that time, I realized just how on an ongoing basis, I was baseline anxious all the time. And so that's what I really, I think it represents something that I want to move away from. Right. Giving up that sense of control, making the decision instead of second guessing everything because sort of when we're afraid or when there's when there's fear it's like a, everything matters all the we need to really be on hyper vigilance yeah, everything and, and feels like a threat it just perpetuates the idea that every decision needs to be analyzed on such a deep level the way that maybe you're used to doing yeah yeah and and, and it's funny as i said that what i wanted to move away from but and i'm thinking what do i want to move towards is about being more present free up more energy to, to, to use that powerful, thoughtful, considerate kind of person that you are to bigger decisions, to, to decisions yeah. that are really important to you. Um, otherwise, you kind of get drained by very, very small decisions. And so, yeah. And I, and I think yeah. that's it is to have more vitality. So I'm not as tired. So I don't, I, I recognize that I'm not responsible for everything. Yeah. Um, and that so that I have more energy to put towards things that I really enjoy. So, yeah. You're not losing your values by deciding in a, in a more effective way. You're, you're gaining all these other things that you've talked about as well with just being spontaneous, being more in the moment, being more present, having more time for more valued activities. All of this yeah. stuff is like so awesome that, that yeah. like, why well, not? It, yeah. I think I've been living in this like uh, way of just surviving as opposed to sort of just living and enjoying and stuff like it's like who would have thunk <laughs> <laughs>
and 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 because you're used to comedy like i could see you narrating in your head like (laughs) this decision and just making the like in other words there's a way that you maybe would interact that could really take you out of it. oh yeah yeah well and and the the way it could be that the pineapples talk to me (laughs) the cans of pineapple actually go no 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 i'm like i'm the thrifty one you know you want to be thrifty right (laughs) and it's like the other one's going yeah but i'm like the quality high quality i'm like the four-star hotel you want me (laughs) i don't know what to listen to but now it's hard to do that right (laughs) but it's okay yeah yeah so, so you have all these sort of positive values and qualities that you want to embody through this decision. And so it's this sort of this small topic of decision-making, but really it's more thematic and it means a, a lot because yeah. it, by making decisions in a more decisive way, you're, you're like capturing your voice back from either fighting or trying to appease and, and, yeah. and just hoping you're making decisions, hoping that'll be okay. Trusting that. Yeah. It will be, it will work out and not in an irresponsible way, just like. No, no, no. And, and I think that's it is that trusting that I won't become reckless. Yeah. Right. So that somehow that, that this idea that, oh, if I do this with one small and I just say, oh, I'm just going to take this, that, you know, I bought one jar of jam that didn't work out. Oh my God. You know, for the rest of the year, yeah. I'm going to be buying things that add up to $1,500 that I don't want. Right. You know? And, right. and, and so trusting that, no, no, I, I'm aware enough and, and it, it doesn't happen that way. So uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you think you'll actually, what do you think you'll actually do? I think, uh, and I had started practicing it a bit is that when I notice myself, so first I need to notice when I'm in that kind of decision teeter totter. Yeah. Uh, and when I notice it, uh, I just pause and check out how I'm feeling. Usually get back into my body and then look at what the decision is if it's a if it's small like you know buying some a can of soup or something or or even whether or not i want to go for a walk with a friend in the afternoon go with my gut just mm. and or if i don't go with my gut go with my second uh instinct um and then just leave it and instead of sort of going back and forth and weighing pros and cons um for you know ad nauseum are you, are you open to some thoughts they have about yes. it? Yes. Yeah, I'd love it. Sure. Yeah. So, so even like, because the initial decision comes and, and just, of course, in the moment, just thinking it through a little bit is like, mm-hmm. you know, even if it takes you 30 seconds to be like, okay, the pineapple or whatever it is, whatever it is, it's, these are some of the reasons why it could be good. These are why not. Yeah. This is why maybe I do want to do this. This is maybe why I don't want to do that. And then once you've re- if you're not able then to resolve the whole thing, um, yeah. have a complete decisive hundred percent certainty, then that's where maybe like, okay, so I, uh, what's the worst, like, you know, yeah. wh- wh- what, yeah. what, what will, ha- I, I don't, I don't even know exactly what my thought suggestion is. Usually I have a more concrete suggestion, but I'm thinking about how, how I do this for myself. Cause I really relate to this, yeah. to this change right. talk. <laughs> and I, <sighs> Yeah. No. And I, and that's it is that um, most of the time I never come, even my first instinct, it's not even about my intuition or instinct. It's like where I just go, okay, uh, I'm good enough is good enough. I'm going to pick that one. 
I don't know if right. it's the right choice, but it feels like the closer choice than that one and right. see what happens. And then and so maybe that's what it is. Maybe once you make that choice, unless obviously you, something's really come up, you're like, all right, I need to rethink that. Maybe just go, f- go for yeah. it. Yeah. And I, and I like to see it as an experiment. So I sort of, yeah. you know, uh, track it to see, okay, so what happened? Did the fear that I thought would happen happen? Did it, and if it did, well, then find out why or whatever. And if it didn't, remember that and and try it again and try it again and try it again. And so I can build my sort of muscle of um, of less cautiousness um, and and yeah and discovering discovering that the world's safe. Oh, it's really okay. Yeah, oh, people love me. I'm cared for. I care for myself. I can trust myself. And that's that's. And I know what happens is that then I, I, I uh, act and sort of live my way into what I want. It reminds me of the Marie Rilke um, quote about living, um, having the question, but you let yourself live into the answer. Um, and I, I really relate to that because there's mm-hmm. no other way around it. It has to be um, a success by experience especially when we're so used to being on that hyper hyper awareness and decision making. Yes. Yes. And it could have been, I could have called what I wanted to change was my overthinking or analysis by paralysis. But the sentiment of making a decision and sticking with it, the moment of absolute certainty never arises is just sort of a motto that I sometimes think about when I'm making Mm. decisions. Yeah. And I think that's a good way. I, that idea of, um, being able to recognize that there's never going to be a hundred percent certainty. And I think that's something to do with sort of um, uh, uncertainty tolerance where recognizing that it's okay to have uncertainty in, in your life and building that. So, so that's what is one thing I'm trying to create more is more psychological flexibility, yes. tolerance to uncertainty and all that kind of stuff. Yes. We'll have to recommend the happiness trap. Yes. Um, yes. So I think the only suggestion that really came to mind based on that really is just to sort of when you've made the decision, however you've gotten there, it's just everything else is kind of, you just treat it as like an intrusive thought. It's just like, yeah, that story's right. coming up, the indecisive story's coming up, whatever, whatever right. it is. It's like, because right. we can't really convince ourselves out of it. So it's more yeah. just like noticing no. that the mind is doing that. And then let's go to what we were supposed to do here, which was, you know, make the decision yeah. and, and go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Something I, yeah, like I that. really like that. I know. I really, I really like that. And even if there's stuff that comes up after making the decision, I, right. I, I like being able to, I, that in the act about um, uh, expansion and diffusion where yeah. often I'll have, you know, whatever thought I have where I usually see it, you know, in a, you know, speeding up in a, some kind of comic strip, like a Keystone Cops or something like that. And it really helps to recognize, all oh, right, these are thoughts. I don't have to like take it right. seriously. Interesting so, thoughts. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm big into both a balance between like using sometimes really challenging, like speaking yeah. back to my thoughts a little bit, but other times just diffusing and noticing them and just, okay, I can't, I'm not going to win this battle. Um, mm-hmm. So you've shared a, a change talk that is meaningful for you. Hopefully your change talk. And I always say that hopefully the change talk that you have can inspire other people's change talks. But for you, it's really thinking about my own change talk because I 
have a very similar methodology where I, I think about the depth of decisions, like the depth and yeah. the, like the. Yeah. And, and, like, and I, we've been sort of joking about it, but yeah. at a certain point it really can be. It's uh, difficult. Really, really burdensome. And, yeah, uh, so, and I really appreciate your insights around that. And I like how you reframed around thoughtfulness and it encapsulates my values, but I can encapsulate my values in different ways now. In different um, ways. And have some fun. Yeah. And have fun with some of these smaller decisions um, and recognize them that they are small. And so, yeah. And I hope other people relate because boy, it's sort of, uh, it's interesting. It's the first time that I've really revealed that this is what <laughs> happens in my head. Well, it's just a weird thing this where people mostly talk about seemingly smaller things and Thankfully, yeah. there's, there's smaller things in some sense, and this is not about therapy. This is just about talking about change, but, but there's thematic elements that come out yeah. from people's small, yeah. these kind of little things going on. I always like to sort of end off with, if there's a, a phrase or an image that comes to mind for you that sort of encapsulates the conversation about the change mm -hmm. talk. I was, yeah, I was just thinking of like, you know, where, uh, in one of these beautiful New York hotels and lobby, and there's a huge bank of elevators, right? And it's all in sort of like that gold kind of brass and all the elevator, I've pushed the elevator button, all the elevator doors open at once. And I'm faced with, you know, and there's something different in each of the elevators and they're all sort of cool and fun and whatever. Um, and so I'm faced with like a dozen elevator doors to walk into and so my image would be that the doors open and I just like close my eyes and I point to one and then I walk in right. and then just go with it and see cool just open the elevator yeah. and enter the door yeah. it, and, yeah. it, and it doesn't mean you're doing the blind decision making it just represents like, no go. no it just, just it just I, it just means I, that I I trust that it's going to be okay because this is going into an elevator to get up to you know Floor the same, three or right? It's not. It's it's not about like buying a plane ticket and deciding yes, if I'm going to yes. move to Spain or something. <laughs> right. This is just finding the right brand of pineapple. pineapple. Wait. Like, so what sure. should I do? Should I get the doll or should I get the no name? Don't ask me. I don't know. It's a practice. It's a practice. It's a practice. Right. You know what? I would get the doll. Okay. And then the next week, try try the, the because it's not it's, your responsibility to make my decision. See, I was exactly. trying to test you, but really I was just testing myself because I can't make the decision. So I'll let you make the decision for me. <gasps> right. Yes. That was a bad, yeah, yeah. that was bad. So yeah. you, it's yeah. true. So, yeah. so here we are. So, so it's that image of the elevator and yeah. you, you've have a, a sort of change talk in mind. And that's really cool that just before the episode, thinking about it already got you sort of moving the balls. Yeah. And thank you yeah. so much for coming in to talk about it. I hope that you continue oh, to inspire fun. people with the work that you're doing in the advocacy. I, I hope it was fun. That was, that's a oh, good, was, that's a good. And compliment. I learned a lot. It was really Yay. Fun. Don't forget to follow us on social media to keep updated on all our content. We are at change talk podcast on Instagram and Facebook and at Change Talk Pod on Twitter. Editing for this podcast is done by the lovely Atara Shields Tile. 
music and theme song by Hope and Social in their album Yorkshire Electric EP with the song People Change. <laughs> 